Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Final hour of the week is here. Glad you're with us. We're going to get you home fast. And if you're at work, hour's going to fly by. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody. Happy hour going on here at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. It's a happy place. It is. Very happy place. It is. You can join us if you're in the Music City. If not, and you plan to visit Nashville anytime soon, swing by and see the Outkick and Outkick 360 studios right here on the massive campus. We call it the campus because the distillery is here, the brewery is here, the beer garden and everything else with all the bowl games, football games, NFL games, all on tap here at 6th and Peabody. The place is a full city block. Yes, yes. Please join us. Um, Titans and Steelers, I think, will be among the better games of week 15. I do too. There's I, a lot of I think it's kind of under the radar. It's your classic battle in the trenches. CBS has made it their number one game. Their number one crew is calling this game. Nance and Romo will be on the play-by-play, uh, which tells you how they feel about it. Um, Paul, the Titans are, will be a bit shorthanded, not because of what's going on across the league with COVID, but just due to injury. No David Long again. Uh, maybe more importantly, no Roger Saffold. Roger Saffold is among the few players who had played in every game. Started now, every game. Started every game. He didn't yeah. finish necessarily every game, but he's not making this trip. He's he's out injured with a nerve issue in his shoulder. Uh, Jackrabbit Jenkins is out. Tier Tart is out. Tory Carter and Laurel Murchison all ruled out today by Mike Vrabel. Here's the injury. concern behind Saffold. Out of nowhere today, Aaron Brewer shows up on the injury report, did not practice, questionable, with a toe. Mm. Dylan Radens could actually be in the picture here. Corey Levin also. Now, um, well, Corey, you know, Levin, Corey Levin, let's, let's, let's just give the, the moving parts here. Corey Levin's also the backup center. Yes. Ben Jones has been known to get dinged yes. along the way. And if you're only going to keep one player... Well, they would both be up. If Brewer's out, they would both no, be up. No, they'd both be up. But I'm saying, like, if, you, if you're worried that Ben Jones could get hurt and you, you wanted to play Levin, I wouldn't play Levin with the just making sure I had someone who could snap the football and had snapped the football during the week that would be able to take over for Ben Jones. I'm making the case to play the rookie ahead of Levin. Wow. At guard. He's making the case to play the rookie. I, I mean, I, I think they both have to be ready ready to go here. Um, but, uh, look, this means that Brewer hurt his toe yesterday in practice, basically. And, uh, you know, this is not your conventional questionable where a guy's been iffy during the week and you don't know. He suffered a toe injury yesterday, did not practice today. I think it's probably 50-50 on whether it's bad enough to keep him out of this game or not. We we don't really have any basis for it. So this is a concerning injury that will could conceivably further test their depth. And if they're down to a third guard, um, you know, Hayward, 
and um, and Watt are going to find that guy uh, and and abuse him or or test him. If Dylan Radens is out there, he, he's not getting uh, eased eased in. We know, Paul, that the the Titans over the last three games haven't scored more than twenty points. I mean, it's been a struggle to find any consistency on the offensive side of the ball. The consistency against New England was in the run game. The rest for 270 yards didn't put up many points off of that, lost the game. They turned the football over. Point being, the Steelers aren't putting up many points either, but there is a clear advantage for the Titans over the Steelers in this game. Both opportunistic defenses, both defenses that can get after the passer, um, two quarterbacks who haven't been playing well. Tannehill's been turning it over. He didn't do it last week, and the offense put up 20 points, and that was the difference in the game. Played a clean game, and they won the turnover battle. So where do they hold the advantage? It's really weird to say it. You and I were talking about this yesterday. I mean, I think if you have to pick one area where the Titans hold a clear advantage in this game, it is running the football with two guys that they got off the street in the last six weeks because they run block well. Um, Foreman and Hilliard have shown themselves to be, you know, better than competent, and because the Steelers are giving up a league worst five yards of carry. So I, I, you talked about the Titans getting uh, ahead of the sticks on first down. Uh, you know, if the Titans could get something close to five yards of carry on on first down, better yet, in the whole game, sets them up to survive their weakness, which is uh, not an inability to find chunk plays and to throw deep. But if you could get a five-yard carry on first or second down in this game with any kind of regularity, you, you can survive that with Jeremy McNichol screens on, on third down and, and short passes to Julio Jones and Nick Westbrook-Akina and Chester Rogers, and, and you're set up. It's a very weird thing to say about a Pittsburgh Steelers team that you've got an advantage running against. Yeah, and I don't want to play rare. the would-have, could-have, should-have <laughs> deal, but think about Derrick Henry. Oh, yeah. Against this run defense, well, they'd be a, for Pittsburgh they'd be in a December a game yeah, and cold weather. They'd be over a touchdown favorite. I mean, I, we, we're we're talking uh, Cooper Cup's numbers for going with four weeks to play. He has a chance as a two thousand yard receiver. The first time we'd seen that in the league. Um, think about Henry's numbers if he remain because he not just playing against this Steelers defense. He would be coming off a game against Jacksonville, an organization that he owns as much as Shad Khan yeah, could does. could be ridiculously back-to-back games. Also, if the Titans win this game, it'll be their, this is their last game against the playoff team from last season. They'll go 8-0 against playoff teams from the previous season, matching the 2007 New England Patriots for the best ever since 1970, since the merger. That'd be a pretty impressive feat. Meanwhile, you've got... Meanwhile, they will have lost to the Jets and the right. Texans. Right, yeah. And, and, and think about if you just get one of those two where they'd be. They'd, oh, they'd, they'd have be 10 wins. In control. Yeah, and you don't... I mean, there's a, there's a push towards the, the number one seed, which right now, Kansas City sits atop the number, at the number one seed. The ahead. Titans take that from them with the head-to-head, with the same record. Right. And the Patriots, you know, this Patriots-Colts game has huge bearing on the Titans either way. Uh, which you ran through earlier. The Colts in the division, if they lose it, it's a big advantage for the Titans. The Patriots, if they lose it, um, it's a big advantage for the Titans in terms of a bid for the number one seed. 107 of Pittsburgh's 176 rushing attempts on first down have gained three yards or less. Don't, don't let them chops. get going with Najee Harris. Yeah, and uh, uh, Bud Dupree, I would think, is only playing situationally. Mike Vrabel said today Zach Cunningham will play. 
um, situationally on defense and as well as on special teams. Um, I would think the Titans will have a nice interior linebacking rotation. Still not as good as it would be if David Long was out there. What's this, his fifth or sixth fifth. game? He's, go- he's with going a to miss his fifth straight. Injury, which is really brutal, but they're in much better place. Uh, if you're a Titans fan, you want to root for him to come in and have an impact, but you also desperately want Rashawn Evans to continue to play well and not have his first game back last week be a flash in the pan. To control Najee Harris, you need Rashawn Evans to be in the right place. And And he's not consistently in the right place often enough. What is realistic to expect in terms of workload for Zach Cunningham with what they can get out of him this week in preparation and what type of packages he can be a part of? Usually when you're easing a guy in on defense, he's in nickel. If he's got nickel nickel capabilities, and Zach Cunningham's better in space than Rashawn Evans. So I, I would think he'd be in nickel. That would be my guess. What? So I'm, I'm basing this off of the idea that what we saw last week is not the full Julio Jones effect. Can't be. Can't, yeah, it can't yeah, be. I mean, if it is, it's really sad. Um, because, you know, for instance, he's not on the field in the, two, in the two minute late in the first half where they're trying to find points. And I'm thinking, this is an important drive. It's not part of Our, two minute. I doubt he's going to be part of two minute now. Oh, well, you get my point here, though. Yeah. It's like it's it's a very important drive where you're trying to put points on the board. You lead by 10, or was it 7 nothing? They end up getting a field goal in that drive. I'm trying to remember the timing of it. Nonetheless, on the most important drives, he's not necessarily on the field for those drives. You think we see more of Julio Jones, or do you think the percentage is about what we have from him? Like when they're the, monitoring, the they're Rob clearly Moore, monitoring his snaps. Yeah, the way Rob Moore talked about it, it sounded like they intend for it to be a gradual increase, but not push the envelope. Yeah. So, but when he's on the field, you can more. definitely. There was a presence with him when he played in the first half, especially last week. Yeah, and they called a couple plays that were designed, or, or where he would have been a prominent read in those plays that would have been you know, dangerous attempts had other things not broken down. So you hope on those three calls, you know, two of them will have a better chance of panning out because they'll protect better and all of that. But you don't know. I mean, they couldn't handle Smoot uh, of the Jaguars. So are they going to handle Hayward and uh, and Watt? You know, I think it's less likely those plays work out more so than it's more likely. Uh, unless Quesenberry's having the day of his life and Aaron Brewer's toe is absolutely fine, well, or Corey Levin or Dylan Radens is having the game of his life. I don't want to keep, continue to have to mention Lawan because it sounds like I'm being overly like nitpicky here, but this is one of those games where he has to play Hold like he's fully capable of. And we know he has those games in him. I think he's been better. No, I think so too. But I mean, he, he, there can be... A, a tackle is allowed to allow a sack. That's not what I'm saying. But you can't have a situation where you don't know which direction the pass rush is coming from to get to your quarterback. Like you, I need to, in my mind, I'm watching the game thinking there's not going to be much pressure coming from the left side over the next four quarters because Lawan's yes. there. I agree with but, you there. Because you have Quesenberry on the other side with T.J. Watt, who is among three players that's going to win Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah. Another thing I'd say offensively, last week we saw Anthony Ferkser for the first time in a long time make a couple catches. Swaim, when he's healthy, has been doing a little bit more. Seems to me those guys are part of the solution to the lack of weaponry with the wide receivers. 
And the more you could spread it around to the more what McNichols is back now, two games off the concussion. You know, I usually don't read too much into, uh, you know, well, Tannehill threw it to 11 guys. But I think this is the kind of game where if he can throw it to 11 guys, that would be a good thing because you, there's not going to be, I don't think, one guy that's going to catch 11 balls in this game and carry. Also, uh, another chat under the radar aspect of this game because I think this is a tight game, low scoring. Randy Bullock, who's you know missed a couple recently, plus an extra point, missed an extra point, uh, kicked one off the upright. Like I'm, I'm looking through. I'm thinking through. He missed a field goal last week. Two games in a row, he missed a field goal. Yeah. yeah. Are we are we starting to see shaky kicking again, he or is this just a blip week. in the radar? He recovered last week at least to hit two. I think after he had the it's, miss. It's a 38 degree high day on the winds river. at nine miles per hour max. I think like a 10 percent chance of rain. On Sunday was the last forecast that I saw in Pittsburgh. December Pittsburgh. Relatively game. mild, but it's going to be chilly. And it's going to be cold. Not not the best kicking conditions. And isn't it incredible how when you're a mediocre to below kicker, you can have a good stretch to start somewhere, and it always balances out where you have that bad stretch that shows everyone, oh, this is why this guy got cut with the Texans. <laughs> I mean, you can it, it's yeah. it's how easily you can fool yourself to thinking, man. We're okay. Randy Bullock's been a revelation for this Titans kicking group and, and their special teams. And then quickly, oh, he starts missing some extra points. Oh, that's why he got cut. And their kicker's quite good, Chris Boswell. Very reliable. Um, and that's that's one of the worst stadiums to kick in with the combination of, of swirling winds. And the turf is always questionable. Yeah. There. And, you know, just going, let's just mention special teams in general because Kern has had some iffy punts too, like uh, one or two that have not been on the money. He's, he's excellent at what he does. This is, all, this is just a tough special teams venue, right? Like for kicking games, period, uh, field goal or punt. And yeah. the Titans have to be able to at least match whatever Pittsburgh can do there. And Chester Rogers has looked a little shaky lately. Can't count on uh, – I mean, I'm never counting on the Titans' return game for anything. Yeah. But the Craig Ackerman will uh, skate. How do you think Tannehill uh, has, has been in recent weeks? I mean, it's not enough. I, I, there are a lot of reasons why it's not been enough. Some of the sacks are on him, yep. right? And Vrabel's tried to go through and, some of and those. A, you know, it's hard to be angry at him when the sack's on him when he's trying to stay in there to make something happen yeah. when you're so desperate for him to make something happen. But he's got to find a better balance of, of things. It would be a great time for him to emerge with a big game. But what's a big game for him now? You know, 225, 245 would be... Well, I a think big the, game more importantly, like it's got to include zero, zero picks, right? Zero turnovers. We know we went through the record. It was either early this week or late last week of what the Titans do when he throws a pick on the win-loss column versus when he's interception-free. And I think they've only got eight interceptions. But Minka Fitzpatrick is is uh, I don't want to say a better version of Kevin Byard. He's got more freedom than Kevin Byard to roam, lurk, jump go out of, out of the framework of things, and he can be a big problem. If, if Tannehill's telegraphing things the way he's telegraphed some things in recent games, Minka Fitzpatrick can be a problem. In, in combination with that pass rush, you know, I, I don't think you're – I think a lot of people are presuming a win in this game for some reason. I, th- I think, you know, this is a toss-up to me. This is one, one of those games where we always praise the Steelers – for knowing their 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 type of player, 
their type of role player. This is where these Titans role players who have been asked to step up, next man up mentality, these role players, especially in the receiving game, have to make a big play. A game-changing, field-flipping type play. It doesn't have to score, but it gives them momentum. It keeps the drive alive. Uh, I'm thinking of some of the catches that Ferkser made um, against the Patriots in the wild card win uh, in Brady's final game at Foxborough. You know, critical catches from guys that we just haven't seen make those type of plays this season. I'm fine with that, and I get what you're saying. But I'd start above that. You know, Julio Jones had, what, four for... 30-something last week. I'm on board with with this, too. Where's his big catch? I'm on board with this, too. That gets the team, you know, sets the fuse on fire. Or even like I said, just the attempt to throw it down the field and get a big pass interference call. Yeah, you're right. I mean, throw it a little bit short, come back for the ball, get interfered with, that's a big play in the game. With the Titans' luck, they get intercepted on that instead of interfered with. Yeah, I just I just don't feel it. But but you're right. Every national game, Chad, that we watch, there's there's a couple of those, and the and the Titans haven't been on the good side of that. Coming up, we will chat with Brent Hubbs and Austin Price of AllQuest.com. PK is off to do something. I can even can we say? Yeah, what's I got to be Santa Claus, and I didn't time things up. Special special well. assignment uh, hey, at the Paul Claus. Appreciate the flexibility. Paulie yeah. Claus uh, with us. So of course, he's not the we real. We want to make sure Paul's real. family has a very the merry real, Christmas. Not the real but, Santa Claus. The, the family needs to have a very merry Christmas. Doing some so we're letting Paul work. go. That's do right. It. That's right. Stand in work. Uh, Paul's off to do something. You'll cool. see me at the mall. He's back at it on Monday, and Thank then he's. He's splitting a little early because he's got a flight to catch to Pittsburgh tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to Pittsburgh early. I was fired up to watch two games, and now I don't know what the hell I'm going <laughs> to do. You're going to eat a sandwich with fries on it. I what am going to eat do. a sandwich with fries on it. You're right. I'm Very hungry. overrated to me, but enjoy it. That's tasty. Have a great weekend. Thanks, boys. Uh, we'll recap Titans and Steelers, of course, on Monday. When we come back. We're about to preview what the Vols are going to do to prepare for Purdue, plus recap signing day for Josh Heupel. Brent Hubs and Austin Price, the best at covering this. They're from VolQuest.com. They're next on OutKick 360. Glad you're with us for this Friday edition of OutKick 360 from 6th and Peabody with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. PK rejoins the show next week. Pleased to be joined by Brent Hubbs, who he was proving this. Was it last week or the week before he was in a stairwell? I think it was last week. This week he is on his way to a Christmas party and is still loyal enough to Outkick360 from VolQuest.com to join us and give us the very latest on Tennessee recruiting with a big week, uh, bigger than expected this week, plus a look ahead at preparations for the Music City Bowl. Brent, we appreciate you, man. Hope you're having uh, a great start to the weekend. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. If I manage my calendar a little better, I might uh, not be in all these random places when I'm joining the show. But uh, thanks for your patience with me. Glad to have you guys with us. I'm we, glad to be on the show. We appreciate you making time and your uh, always busy always on no, the move. Is no, Brent Hubs. no problem at all. Whether it's in a stairwell or wherever he joins us, we'll uh, gladly right. take Brent Hubs. However, he joins the show. Brent, we we talked to Austin earlier in the week on, on signing day about some of the pleasant surprises uh, on signing day for Tennessee. In your opinion, what was the best, I don't know if you'd say surprise, but best development on signing day with this signing class with Josh Heupel? I think it's the defensive line. Uh, Getting Tyree West and getting James Pierce were were the two, um, I don't want to say bell cows of the class, but uh, that was the uh, beyond icing on the cake, if you will. I think when you look at this team, 
Uh, what Rodney Garner did this year with that defensive line was was really good. Um, not not the most talented group, but a guy group of guys who played with great effort. Tyree West comes in with a lot of talent, guy who can play uh, obviously in the middle, but plays on an edge. He's not just a plugger who occupies space. He's a he's a playmaker type body in there. Got some developing to do for sure, but uh, you know to to get him is is a big deal. And then on the outside, when you look at this team, they had a hard time getting to the quarterback unless they blitzed. And then when they blitzed, if they got out of their blitz lanes, we know what mobile quarterbacks did to Tennessee. To, to correct part of that problem, you got to be able to get home without bringing the house. And uh, James Pierce is going to give Tennessee a chance to get home uh, without bringing the house. Uh, you know, Byron Young started to develop that way a little bit later on in the year. Uh, but that Tennessee needs more guys that have the closing speed off the edge and guys that offensive coordinators go, you know what, we might have to help our tackle out there. We might have to leave a tight end in the block or we might have to not let the running back leak out into, into you know, a pass route because he's got to stay in and block the guy off the edge. And I think James Pierce has that kind of athletic ability and that kind of skill set. Is he ready to dominate from day one? I don't know about that, but 6'5", 225 pounds, that's what they're supposed to look like coming off the edge. Tennessee needs as many bodies like that as they can get. Getting him to end the day was huge for Tennessee. Brent, is there any one big thing you learned about Heupel and his staff during what is the, the first official recruiting signing day for, for him at Tennessee? Or is there, is there a trend that you could point to on how he's going about things now? No, I really don't think so. And I say that because this year was really unusual. Um, they, they had a commitment from Chaz Nimrod in early August and then did not get another commitment till November, uh, which is really bizarre and really unusual when you look at it. So I think when you look at those things and what stands out about this class is that they have found a way to weather and deal with the NCAA issues, um, the, the fact that a lot of prospects wondered what they would look like. So it took a little longer for them to get in on particularly some defensive prospects. Uh, but but overall, I don't think that you can declare anything about them. You know, Rodney Garner and his staff um, have a lot of Georgia ties. I do think you'll see them continue to be successful uh, to a degree in the state of Georgia because that's where most of the staff has their ties to. Brent, I know you wrote that the new arms race is with coaches' salaries, and not necessarily facilities. Facilities are still important, but paying coaches a lot of money paying every coach a lot of money seems to be the new arms race. How do you think Danny White handles that with Josh Heupel and this staff? I'm sure that some members of his staff are going to get contacted by some other jobs out there. So how do you think Danny White handles that moving forward? Well, I think he has to address it sooner rather than later. I mean, when you look at what he did a year ago, it was what, July when he announced Tony Vitello and two basketball coaches and Four other head coaches all got contract extensions and adjustments and salary. Can't wait that long now with football. You, you got to go. You got to get a new deal out there. You got to make sure you're protecting those guys that, that you want to protect on your staff. And I think it's important that this staff have continuity from year one to year two. Uh, and, and then the question I have, too, is how big is the workforce going to be in football? You know, we, we had Billy Napier say, what, two and a half weeks ago at his press conference that he's building an army of people down there in football. When you talk about analysts and uh, people in the recruiting office and, and people were talking about 
um, all of the media stuff you have to do now and you're allowed to do in recruiting, imaging, all of those things. What does that look like at Tennessee? Do they grow there? How important is it that they grow there? And I think they need to grow there some. Uh, so I think that's a big, big of a question as it is what Josh Heupel's salary is going to be. Then you throw in what the rest of the head coaches are making in this league. Josh Heupel's a little over $4 million. Suddenly he looks pretty underpaid at this point. So pretty, pretty interesting few weeks here for Danny White moving forward uh, with workforce size as well as contracts for the head coach and assistant coaches. Let's get to the current team now. Growth. And you wrote about this, the potential of growth now that we know Hendon Hooker is coming back and what this offense could look like in year number two with Hendon, with Hendon Hooker leading it. What does that mean for Tennessee in what, not just the possibilities of next year, but how they can capitalize on the good feelings of this year to build to something even better in year two with the same quarterback coming back? Well, I, I think we all know that that quarterback is the key component to being successful in football at whatever level you're talking about, right? I mean, that's the bottom line. To bring the quarterback back that you know what his skill set is, you know how he's going to perform under pressure, you know what he likes, what he doesn't like, what he does well, areas that he needs to work on. You can really dial in and hone in your offense. When you look at this team from where they were in August to where they were at the end of the year, they're a different-looking team because they moved Valus Jones from outside to inside. Then they changed quarterbacks. And so there was a little bit of an evolution standpoint when, when you look at those things uh, from the standpoint of you, you see them grow moving forward, but they, they've got to grow more. And now they can grow specifically – because they can build it around Hendon Hooker, which they did not do last year until middle part of the season. I thought it was interesting, Alex Golish saying, you know, kind of go out and look at other people, you know, take things from other people and what they do. So what does that look like? Is that some Jackson stuff from the Ravens because of Hendon Hooker's legs? Is that some stuff from other high-tempo offenses that are out there, offenses that are using wide splits? Is that continued growth at the tight end position because you're bringing two veterans back there. They, they have an idea of what they look like and what they have to work with much more than what they did a year ago, and I think that'll help them grow significantly. Let's stay with quarterback, because in a weird way, the forgotten man in this signing class is Taven Jackson, the quarterback, because he's been committed for so long and he never wavered from Tennessee. What is Tennessee getting in Taven Jackson? What does Josh Heupel see in what his potential could be in his offense? Yeah, a little bit unusual in the standpoint of in, in this day and age, any quarterback that ends up going somewhere typically comes and has some kind of private workout with a coach and they get a half a day with him and even get on the board with him and all those types of things. That didn't happen here with Taven Jackson, which is a bit odd. Uh, but but Taven Jackson is a guy who's a winner. He's successful. He's been successful. I think he's got good leadership skills. He's a guy that uh, can use his legs. I think he's a guy who can extend plays, create offense uh, when a play breaks down, uh, can can throw all the throws that, that you want him to throw. What you don't want, you really don't want to have to play next year. You would like Hendon Hooker to stay healthy uh, and then, you know, Joe Milton to, to stay around. We'll see what Milton likes to do. Uh, but but it could be a great situation for Taven Jackson where maybe he plays in a little mop-up duty and two or three games, but you can still redshirt and still develop him that way and not cost him a year. 
Uh, but but I think they like his leadership skills and the and the athletic ability uh, as well as an arm that can make all the throws. I mean, he's been look. They've won a lot of football games with him up there uh, in, in Indiana. They've been highly highly successful with him as their signal caller. Do you think Milton sticks around? It's a great question, and, and I think that that time will tell. Um, with Joe, uh, where could he go? Does he have to transfer down to be eligible immediately? Um, all of those things I think will factor into where Joe Milton is. He's going through bowl prep. Uh, actually, in watching him in practice, we got to see some practice this week. Um, I, I thought he threw the ball on the under, the underneath intermediate stuff with a lot with a good bit more touch uh, and showed some improvement there from what we saw early in the year. Uh, but but I don't know where Joe's at mentally. You know what, what does he want to do? If he has to transfer down, does that really intrigue him, or does he want to stay at Tennessee and see what can happen? And you know, knowing he's a play away, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure where Joe Milton's kind of mind is right now. He, he's obviously not in a rush to get out of town because he did not hop in the portal and try to find anything during this first run of transfers. So uh, my thing right now is that that he'll be back for the spring semester and go from there. And the, the idea, Brent, uh, a lot has changed in the nine, ten months for him because he thought he would be preparing for the NFL draft right now, if I'm correct. I mean, that's what he was saying at NIL dinners early in the season. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, to do that, you got to go out and play well. And right. you got to perform, and he did not. Um, you know, he, he just – I mean, you look at the – did not make the throws he needed to make and was not nearly consistent enough and uh, did not play up to any kind of standard like that. and. Uh, we'll see. I mean, how, how much does he want to compete? Uh, how much does he want to play? You know, I mean, the, you think about it. I mean, he, he's had a pretty rough go of it. He comes to Tennessee, lost his job, you know, got hurt, lost the job, didn't get back in the fray, uh, didn't play well when it was his job, uh, hurt at Michigan, lost his job that way. I mean, it's not been a storybook uh, ride through college football for him. So, you know, where is his passion for the game right now? And, and where does he – kind of find himself from a competitive standpoint. I can't answer any of those. And I'm not saying he's not competitive, but it's just not been the way he drew it up or anybody drew it up for him. And it certainly worked out for Hendon Hooker. Uh, Brent Hubbs with us from VolQuest.com. Brent, uh, less than two weeks away now to the the Music City Bowl. Uh, take us through what preparations have been like to this point and what they'll be like in the coming week. Well, to this point, up until today, preparations were very much of a kind of a start of spring practice or fall camp mode. It was very fundamental oriented, uh, just the base offense, base defense stuff, but much more about technique, uh, leverage, kind of knocking off the rust and getting back into all of the fundamentals that you're looking for. Today, we saw Tennessee with a true scout team out there in scout team jerseys. Uh, we saw them starting to work on some special team stuff for Purdue and, and saw them really get, start to get into a, a game prep mode and start to introduce some some game plan, if you will. They'll do that part of next week. They'll break for Christmas. The team will convene Christmas night in Nashville. Uh, then Tennessee will go to the practice field on the 26th, which will be their Monday uh, of game prep week, and it'll be a very normal game-type week. Uh, for Josh Heupel's team once he gets to Nashville. A little extended uh, game prep mode, some extra fundamental stuff for some young kids next week. When you, you know, Trinity Bell's moved from tight end to defensive end uh, during this time. Cayman Marley's working at linebacker after working all fall at wide receiver. 
some young kids they want to get some more reps with. There'll they'll be some of the, the transfers and some of the signees here for practice. Uh, Jordan Phillips is already here. They're expecting to have a couple, three more here uh, starting tomorrow to go through practice. And, and so those guys will get some work, but they'll start to really hone in on Purdue in a game plan uh, as they did today. That'll continue moving forward. Brent, so many people want to point to the negatives with the transfer portal, and I understand a lot of that. There are certainly a lot of negatives that go along with it. But to me, one of the positives of it is the story of, of Jared Verse from Albany, uh, who I know Tennessee's in the thick of it with right now. But a guy like that that suddenly has all of this high major attention, I think is a pretty cool story for someone with the opportunity to now transfer up and make an impact at the highest level and help their draft stock. Well, and that's what a lot of people envision the transfer portal being. I mean, that's the that that's the blueprint of hey, the transfer portal is really good. Instead of all these guys bouncing from one power five school to another power five school, it's finding a guy at a lower level who has outplayed his his ranking or outplayed his place. Not that the NFL can't find them at that level, but they want the opportunity to play um, against better competition. And that's certainly the case with Jared Verse, who's put on forty pounds in the last. 18 months as he just became a workout fool during COVID. Uh, we're seeing that at ETSU. There's an offensive lineman up there that's picked up 14 or 15 Power 5 offers since he went in the portal. So you have some of those opportunities out there for those guys. And, uh, I think that is the the, uh, the ultimate positive of the transfer portal. Uh, Jared's got a lot of decisions to make and, and things to look at as he continues to get more and more offers. He has one official visit left to take if he elects to take that continues to talk to Rodney Garner, but Tennessee's got a ton of competition uh, for his services because most of the SEC has offered, and uh, he's still getting offers from from all around the country. Miami has recently offered as well. He's probably up to 20 or, or, or two dozen Power 5 offers since he went in the transfer portal from Albany, much like uh, Minshew did. You know, when Minshew was at a small school over in North Carolina, ends up at Washington State, look where it landed him. Look where he ended up being at. So you're going to see some of those stories, and those are good stories to see. Brent, a big moment for Tennessee basketball tomorrow uh, right here in Nashville, Bridgestone Arena against Memphis. Memphis at home destroys Alabama uh, this week, and that changes the complexion of this game. But it, do, it none of it changes the complexion of the rivalry between these two teams and these two programs. Where does all of this stand right now with, with Penny Hardaway versus Rick Barnes the standoff of not wanting to play the home-and-home and and wanting to meet in Nashville. What do you think about this rivalry, where it stands right now with these two coaches, and more importantly, where Tennessee stands in this matchup tomorrow against Memphis? Well, as for the rivalry, I mean, I I think this is a a situation where Penny Hardaway tried to make pretty personal, and I don't think Rick Barnes took too well to that. And then Tennessee uh, wanted to move a game, um, I guess, a year ago, they were trying to get a game and COVID messed it up, but they had an opportunity to play um, in, in New York, but it was going to be on the same date as the Memphis game was scheduled. Tennessee tried to rework the date for the Memphis game, and Memphis refused to do that. And I think that kind of sent the message, you know what, we're not going to play Memphis uh, on a regular basis. And I don't think Tennessee and Memphis are going to play on a regular basis unless somebody puts a game together for them. I, I just don't see this being – a home-and-home regular-type series at this point with the personalities that are involved. Now, as for the game tomorrow, you know, I think the biggest key to this game is going 
can be the first, you know, five to seven minutes, to be honest with you, because uh, Tennessee makes shots uh, early, make perimeter shots. And, and how does Memphis play? If Memphis gets off to a hot start, man, they're really tough. And, and that's what happened in that Alabama game. They came out of the gates flying, and, and they were locked in and ready to go. There have been some other games where they didn't get off to a good start. They never kind of got going. And so I, I think can Tennessee defensively frustrate Memphis early in this game to kind of keep get their offense out of rhythm and not let them get into sync? Uh, and then on the flip side, can Tennessee make jump shots against a team that's got athletic ability, that's going to get in your face, they're going to, de- they're going to try to defend you? Can you make shots? Tennis, the two best defensive teams Tennessee's played against in Texas Tech and Villanova, Tennessee's been – not very good shooting the ball from the perimeter. Finally, I think from a, a breakdown of defense standpoint, Memphis is going to try to go a lot of one-on-one stuff. Uh, they're going to try to break you down off the dribble, play some one-on-one stuff. How well can Tennessee defend in, in those isolated situations? Do they give up the straight-line drives, or do they prevent that from happening? That will be a vital point for Rick Barnes's defense at noontime tomorrow in Nashville. It should be a great atmosphere. Uh, packed Bridgestone Arena for sure. I can't wait to watch it um, as uh, this place, uh, we're at 6 the Peabody, should be slammed right next door to Bridgestone Arena. Uh, Brent, thank you as always, man. We appreciate uh, the, the time this evening. Enjoy the Christmas party, and let's catch up early next week prior to the holiday. Sounds good, guys. Look forward to it. Appreciate it. Y'all Thanks, have a great Brent. weekend. You too. Brent Hubs of VolQuest.com. We'll catch up with him in Austin next week for our VolQuest report. Uh, a lot of positives coming there, Chad, on the recruiting front for Hypel. And he, he also, I thought it was interesting, says not many trends to read into because it was such an odd year for what Hypel was trying to accomplish. And he still accomplished quite a bit compared to what we expected. And I thought Austin brought up a good point earlier this week that all of the noise around the program with the NCAA and everything going on, it really affected the in-state crop this yeah. year more than anything else. Josh Heupel said that. He said, we were fighting that more with high school coaches and players in-state than out-of-state that weren't really looking at it the same way the in-state players were. And some good news coming from Austin Price about next year's in-state crop where Tennessee is in much better standing with some of the top players in the state of Tennessee in the 2023 class. So... I think the fact that they got a top 15 class with only two players in state is great news for this coaching staff going into Georgia, going into surrounding states that, you know, they got their quarterback from Indianapolis, which is not the normal place you'd go for a quarterback prospect. I think all that's good news. It's good vibes around the Tennessee football program right now. Um, It's, it's on Josh Heupel and staff just to keep it going. And part of that, as crazy as it sounds, this is the market right now. They're going to have to announce a contract extension and a raise for Josh Heupel. I know it's one seven and five season, and people will say that's crazy, but this is the game that's being played, and Danny White's going to have to do that for Heupel and his staff to make sure that he retains everyone on staff, and I think that's the next step. If you're not giving your coach a contract extension right now... They're on the hot seat. That coach is on the hot seat, and you have to win. Or and that coach is not happy just, and wants to leave. It's a crazy... It's weird situation, set of circumstances across coaching right now. Coming up, uh, we've mentioned the COVID policy for the NFL throughout the day. We'll we'll try to put uh, a recap on what the NFL has done with their schedule for you. We'll also tell you, non-COVID related, some of the bigger injuries that will affect games this weekend. And in the NBA, there is a superstar player that's about to return on a part-time basis. That's next on Outkick 360. 
You could file this under the category of, you know, we don't need you until we need you. Outkick 360 rolls on. Kyrie Irving is returning to the Brooklyn Nets on a part-time basis for road games. He's still unvaccinated. He still does not meet the health criteria, the protocol criteria to play in Brooklyn for home games. Um, although visiting players could come in and play, he can't uh, because that's his primary residence. And yeah, the Brooklyn needs him because of injuries um, and they players lost to health and safety protocols and everything else is ongoing. Kyrie to the rescue for the Brooklyn Nets, who returns on a part-time basis. So this is something that'll get me to watch the NBA, uh, shockingly enough. Uh, I, I want to watch the how the Brooklyn Nets navigate Kyrie Irving, his refusal to get vaccinated, preventing him from playing in Brooklyn. As Hutton said, yet visiting players can play unvaccinated, but that they're going to have him available for road games. I can't wait, Hutton, until they get into a playoff series. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to be talking strategy about, oh. well, if they can just split at home, they're going to get Kyrie Irving on but the Chad, road. When this series shifts on Kyrie the road, is sitting he'll back be there and available. Laughing at this because the whole deal is over him being vaccinated. Meanwhile, you've got LeBron James who's missing missing games. You know, he's be, he's in health and safety protocol with the NBA, but vaccinated, but still testing. You know, all of the, all of this is up in the air now, based on the situation at hand and all of the pro leagues. We're seeing it in the NHL. The NFL is is right in the thick of it, uh, and the NBA as well. Uh, the first game that he'll be eligible based on this to play will be December 23rd. They will play at Portland. And then, believe it or not, they play Christmas Day against the Lakers. Nets at Lakers, Kyrie on the court. Uh, because, again, the Nets need him. He's one of the best players in the league. And because of that, they'll make exceptions when they need you. The problem here is New York, L.A., the states they're in and the protocols around those states aren't getting any better. Um, but Hutton, I still believe that the rainmaker is out there, and that is the NFL deciding to stop testing so, uh, and to stop protocols. If that happens, it's almost like every other league is waiting on the NFL to follow suit with whatever they decide. So that'd be the one thing that can change the league. Um, it's not going to change the city of New York. You know, That's the issue with Kyrie Irving. Whatever the league does isn't going to change their protocols, just like it's not going to change the state of California and their protocols. There's going to be uh, a lot more news coming out with the NFL COVID protocols over the weekend, and I, I suspect on Monday we'll have the latest for you here starting at 2 p.m. Central on Monday and recap the Week 15 slate, which includes Raiders and Browns playing now on Monday. They were slated to play tomorrow. The Raiders were at their indoor practice facility about to board a bus to go to the Vegas airport to fly to Cleveland, and the NFL put everything on hold uh, and, and said, wait a minute until we figure out what we're going to do. What they've done is they've rescheduled the game for Monday at 5 o'clock Eastern, and that will uh, kick off, the game will end, and then we'll have our normally scheduled uh, Monday night football game on ESPN with the Vikings and the Bears. Two games have been moved to Tuesday. Washington, uh, they've been inundated with plenty of positive tests. Uh, and based on protocol, they have over 25 players currently on their COVID-19 list. They play at Philly now on Tuesday, as does Los Angeles and Seattle. That game, due to the Rams issues, has been moved to Tuesday. A couple of injury notes going into the weekend for you. Uh, the Patriots, Damian Harris running back. He is ruled out for the Patriots against the Colts tomorrow. Ramondre Stevenson, fourth-round running back, rookie, uh, is slated to get all of the uh, the big reps tomorrow at running back for the Patriots. The Colts, 
their center, Ryan Kelly, is questionable to play in this game. That's big for protection of Carson Wentz. Uh, For the Arizona Cardinals this weekend, no DeAndre Hopkins. And for the Lions, this impacts fantasy football players in playoff scenarios. No DeAndre Swift. He's been ruled out yet again with that shoulder issue that he suffered on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, Cowboys, no Tyron Smith at left tackle. So Dak Prescott is left with the backup at his left side. And Tony Pollard, uh, he is questionable to play. Ezekiel Elliott was a full participant in practice. Big note from Twitter, Randy Quaid, who played Cousin Eddie on Christmas Vacation, tweets out, for $10 million, I'll stand on your front lawn myself in a white bathrobe with a big hose, smoking a cigar, and drinking a beer. This is a special discounted one-time offer. 